Hello, and welcome to AMO Kenzoku, Episode 11, Bubblegum Crisis. We are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who want to excuse to talk about anime, manga, and any related subjects we find interesting. The Kenzoku are Sam. Yo. Nick. Hello, hello. Mike. Hi, all And I am Dylan. This episode is being recorded on June 23, 2022. Today we are discussing one of the things we've mentioned every episode but haven't discussed yet, Bubblegum Crisis. So when we say we are Bubblegum Crisis, Boomer Otaku, what what the heck are we talking about? Uh, So this discussion is going to focus mostly on the original OVA. We may have some discussions of side projects, other TV series and things. There may be some spoilers. We'll probably not have too many, but be warned that there may be some spoilers for a show that has been out released in the United States <laughs> since 1991. Hashin. Um, so uh, we're just going to jump right into the right into the topic today and uh, start talking about Bubblegum Crisis. I was kind of going back and forth with um, where to start, whether we want to kind of start talking about uh, like kind of world design, sound, like the importance to us, either personally or historically. Um, But I think, Sam, you said you had a uh, kind of a production timeline, and I figure that kind of might be a good thing to set the stage for some of this. Yeah. So when I was watching, rewatching it the last week, um, I was curious about kind of who influenced who kind of things and so i just pulled up some um, dates for these things for when the show came out and then some other things at the time that have been pretty influential um so in 1982 uh, blade runner comes out in theaters uh 1984 terminator comes out 1987 um bgc eps one two and three come out in February, September, and December, uh, respectively. Uh, 1988, uh, in April, is Pat Labor OVAs. This is like the, the beginnings of Pat Labor. Uh, July is BGC up four, and December is BGC up five. Um, BGC being Bubblegum Crisis, of course. Um, in, in, oh, I swapped this around a little bit, but um, in, in 88, also in July, Akira comes out in theaters in Japan. And uh, the Pat Labor movie comes out in 89. This is like crazy good time for uh, anime. Um, 89 in August, BGC up 6. October, Pat Labor TV airs. Uh, 90, 1990 in March, BGC up 7 comes out. And in 91, BGC up 8 comes out. And in also in 91, uh, Terminator 2 comes out kind of Terminator bookending the whole BGC series. That was interesting. Appropriate, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's there's so much stuff. And uh, one of the reasons that I kind of, I think I kind of want to go into this thing of like, well, why do we call ourselves, when we preface this as bubblegum crisis boomer otaku? Well, one is to clarify that we're not so old to be actual okay boomer boomers. Um, But in bubblegum crisis, you know, We'll just start here with a little discussion because I kind of have this question of like, Bubblegum Crisis has these things, boomers, which are, I 
one of my kind of my questions is, okay, well, what actually is a boomer and what rules does it follow? So they're kind of a merging of some stuff that Sam just mentioned there between the replicants from Blade Runner and the Terminator mixed with more kind of bioweaponry. And then there's all sorts of different capacities they seem to have, and they can also hide as different sized humans. And then there's all this development of them. And then there's the sexeroid part of it and <laughs> the unseen, apparently a primary usage, which is as uh, like construction. Um, whereas we see these, most of the ones we see in the series are these kind of like ones that shouldn't exist really more kind of like private security boomers, which appear to also have like more of the replicant style of uh, human characteristics. So I was curious what people would say is like, okay, what do you think is a boomer? Cause I'm still, honestly, I'm not sure. I feel like they, going back to the like influences things. Um, BGC from the opening scene seems very much um to put it i don't know kindly uh, an homage to blade runner very strongly like complete with uh vangelis like music uh, and the the cityscape um pans in the very first scene so to me my impression of boomers was that they're they are basically like replicants um with replicants plus maybe because they they do more than replicants do um they're kind of a little bit more about I board. feel like they're more mechanical than replicants. Mm. Replicants yeah. feel at least a bit more biological, bioengineered. Fair. Not that there's not a heavy bioengineering component to boomers. There is, but they clearly have that more armored core. Yeah, I feel like they're definitely a pretty distinct hybrid between uh, replicants and terminators because when they I guess boom out for lack of a better description, you know, <laughs> when they a good word. Yeah. <laughs> um it, it's it's to me it's very clear that the a lot of the design philosophy was very terminator inspired. Kind of a, you know, a humanoid skull with a lot of, you know, mechanical like components that are made to look organic but are definitely mechanical. So um I think I mean it's 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 super clear that Blade Runner um, and Terminator are two huge influences on a lot of the design philosophies uh, for for the boomers. At least, I would say, especially in episodes one through, let's say, five, mm-hmm. probably. Um, I feel like from ep six on, there's, they definitely start to do more... Uh, do 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 I would call alternate forms. Because, you know, the first few episodes, you pretty much do the same thing, that you kind of see your, you know... Uh, you, you see your sunglassed, you know, gorilla suit wearing bodyguard <laughs> who then, you know, booms out and becomes a boomer. And you're like, okay, that's, that's the, that's kind of the running gag of the series. But then later on, especially from X, F, six, seven, and eight, you could, they definitely do kind of, I guess, alternate form factors, so to speak. Is that, is that the origin? I, I, 
I hadn't honestly thought about that. Like, is that the origin of the name of like boomers and that they like boom out from their like <laughs> human body shell? Or is this just a thing that we're just making up right now? I think I, 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 I maybe, maybe I'm the first person to coin the term. I don't know. But no, yeah, I think it's all you, Nick, that oh, you can have a, that sweet. one. <laughs> is it even boom is a question. Oh, like, I what know do you have, Mike? 2040 verse translated it as boomers, and I'm not sure if that was just ADV trying to be different or. If that was a well, there's some ambiguity in the source name. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the Japanese like English conundrum, right? Like you you could see it all over mm. the the show when you're looking at English, like the uh, oh gosh, I feel bad the 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 American equivalent to Genome and Ep um, Seven, the one we run one by that cowboy guy. Oh yeah, uh-huh. uh, it, it was yeah. There was a lot of L's and R's being mixed around there. So honestly. Uh, I think it's readily accepted that boomer is what you know they're they're called, but because of the way Japanese is pronounced, boomer and boomer actually are pronounced the same way. So it, un- unless we see a direct, you know, answer from yeah, you know, I some, always preferred boomer. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we all do. You know, unless like one of the directors comes out and f- explicitly states it, I think it's just going to be an argument that fans will make till the end of time. <laughs> Just calling them boomers just sounds too much like calling a laser gun a pew pew or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. It just sounds really weird. <laughs> yeah, boomers, on the other hand, makes me think of, well, nuclear subs, <laughs> yeah. which is a weird connotation, but... Yep, that is another, that, that is another boomer. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk just a little bit kind of about episode one, because it is so freaking crazy. Like. The first, the opening segment is literally just a seven minute, it is the full song. It's seven minutes long that goes right through, you know, Coney Hurricane. And then after a minute 45, it goes right into the second song. Oh, yeah. Um, like, so it's literally like the first 15 minutes of it is just these two A plus uh, songs that just roll through. Uh, the whole thing and just drive everything. And um, it really make I think just like the opening there is so strong. And that first episode is so great that it, um, it, it's one of those, one of those episodes that you really can't recommend enough. And it sets everything for the entire world there in such a, uh, a cool way that there, there's very few episode ones that I could say are, like equally good as that in terms of all of their execution of everything. It stole some fantastic scene setting for that opening. <laughs> so I actually am probably going to give the hottest of takes and disagree with <laughs> that statement with, awesome. with, okay. with a corollary. So I agree that the first seven minutes are probably some of the best, you know, music integration and and anime history uh you i i will never deny that i mean that whole segment with konya and hurricane is you know legendary uh it's, it's never it's untouchable that being said i feel like the rest of episode one is actually incredibly subpar compared to okay. the rest rest of it <laughs> i'm not the only um, one all right <laughs> um i would say the especially these the action scene immediately after um the the first song where they're you know where you see the first boomer and you know the 80 police literally just getting massacred by it like that whole that whole animated segment to me was animated 
atrociously. <laughs> it was really hard for me to watch because the frame rate was really inconsistent. The angles and kind of the, I don't know, just a lot of the art direction to me looked really clumsy. And the number one thing I noticed most out of Ep 1 compared to every single other episode is all of the voice actors seemed very flat in their execution, especially Leon. I think Leon, um, uh, let me let me let me look up his VA because he is his his VA is legendary. Um, his VA is uh, Toshio Furukawa, who is also Piccolo oh, wow. in, in literally every Dragon Ball, and he's also, uh, 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 uh oh my god, he's every he's everyone. He's also uh. Uh, Ataru Moriboshi from yeah, uh, Atari, yeah, and he's also um, uh, Asuna in uh, Pat Labor. So he's literally like some yep. of the most influential characters in that era of, of anime. That being Shin said, in Fist of the North Star, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's just in hit after hit, especially in the late eighties and nineties. But his performance to me in Ep One was so flat, especially when com- when you compare it hmm. to later episodes and how he developed as a character. Um, I give I give some slack to uh to 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 let me look up her name. I don't remember any of these VAs, unfortunately. Character uh, names. Yeah, it's for well to so it's widely known that Princess VA actually is not a VA. She's a singer first. She actually had, had never done anime after um, BGC. So Kinoko Omori, she's a well, like a kind of like a pop, a very up and coming pop singer during that era when BGC was being made and that's why they wanted to pick her up because it's like oh this is she's going to be our you know our poster girl so to speak and so I give her slack because voice acting isn't her specialty and actually I feel like she was one of the stronger performances and more consistent performances throughout the entirety of VA I think she did a phenomenal job as Pris um very unique voice very few VAs uh, female VAs or male VAs that kind of can pull off the kind of range that she has so uh, she impressed me a lot. Everybody else honestly felt very flat. I don't know if that was because, you know, the production team didn't really have a full grasp of how they wanted to go. Like they wanted to keep it super gritty and subdued, kind of like uh, Blade Runner and, you know, have it be very dark and and almost, uh, I guess, like realistic, like like live action style, you know, of line execution. You know, but... I, I, I had similar thoughts as you and i don't i don't sure i would call the animation atrocious but it definitely wasn't up to par um but the the voice acting definitely had a very similar feeling and what i chalked that up to was maybe the the production staff uh not timing the animation well enough because it feels like there are a lot of like awkward pauses between lines for people well they like waited for animation to yeah, you know. I think that ties into the trying to keep us up too, because that whole first segment with the boomer again, literally, like, people are being massacred, and not one of those officers is screaming in pain. They're all silently just getting their heads squished by this boomer. And that's like, normally you hear a lot of screaming and hor- horrific noises from humans when that's happening. So I think I'm uh, I, I'm being extra critical, because obviously uh, I, I adore Bubblegum Crisis. It's, it's, uh, there's, you know... There's few properties that I have kept in such high regard over the over the decades, but that's that's why I feel, feel like I'm being extra critical in F1 because F1's supposed to sell the whole thing. The only thing that sold me was the music video and the setting. The setting, I I mean, I'm a sucker for cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is 
one of my favorite, uh, you know, subgenres. And the setting of Mega Tokyo is one of the best, you know, executions of it in all of anime. But aside from, I, I feel like those two elements really carried up one for me personally. I got some hotter takes coming for you later. I guess. Oh, baby. All right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's fine. And I, I'm good discussing kind of switch shifting a little bit on your keeping here and going more into kind of the, um, the world and the setting, which I think is, yeah, it's really cool. Like, um, I think it's, I think it's very interesting too. Like I was reading some of the side stuff and like the whole stories that it's like seven years it takes place 2032, so 10 years from now, just for reference for time. Oh, um, I didn't really do that I didn't, even, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. That's actually yeah, unbelievable yeah. that they actually thought 2032 would be this dystopic. <laughs> yeah, so 10, 10 years from now, you're welcome. Yikes. Um, And that was seven years after this uh, second great Kanto earthquake split Tokyo in half, and so it's this whole weird, crazy rebuilding mega Tokyo world and i think it's pretty cool in that you know i felt like i had a reasonable feeling for the world but like there was so unless i unless i completely missed it but it, i just rewatched it, i didn't see it there there was so little exposition for that sort of stuff like directly in the show that it was my guess is that it was assumed that because this was an ova that you were buying it and you were reading the liner notes that came with it which explained mm. some of this side stuff such that it was kind of like, oh, okay. So if you if you're renting it from the store, then you just saw the stuff and you're like, oh, well, this is really cool. But if you were an LD purchaser in 1987 in Japan and spending whatever, uh, probably equivalent these days, 150 dollars on a on a disc, um, that you're gonna get all that information there, which I think is a really cool thing that most properties don't do, where they there is very little world exposition. Sure, that's the show don't tell thing, right? That, that everybody should be doing, but but often fail at. Yeah, and just kind of like that. There's a lot of stuff I don't think they re- they kind of show some parts, but other parts they don't really like. To my question of kind of like, well, really, what is all the details of a boomer? When did they start coming around? How did how did a uh, Genin or Genin start like? becoming this crazy company when did all these like super earth destroying satellites when did we get 27 million like planet destroying satellites up in the sky and like they don't explain any of that in the show which um which i i think is great because either you read the stuff or you make up your own story yep yeah i think they leave a lot to inference which initially through didn't sit well with me but i think it was more because um to me, Ep One was not as usually. I I prefer Ep like introductions to be a little bit softer of a landing as far as getting you into it. Um, I, again, they were doing you know they they were on a short timeline for for this OVA. Uh, even well, I mean they're originally going to be thirteen and then they ha- it got shrunk to eight. So I kind of get why they you know needed to. I think it was a part of it was how they wanted to tell a story. Part of it was probably limitations of just how long they had to tell stories. Um, is is kind of my take on it. So I think the actual real world like situation behind the making of the show probably may have influenced how certain 
details were kind of left more for the you know viewer to interpret themselves. I'm going to give him a little bit of a point though, because I think it's generally good production to not spill all the beans in the show to like oh to I, hold stuff back. I I agree, but there's also like something like BGC has so many moving parts, right? Like the the setting, the main characters, like you don't they don't even go into like they they spend like a handful of minutes with flashbacks describing Celio's past and how the hard suits <laughs> like the hard, where did the hard suits even come from? You just have to yeah. infer that you know, they was tied to her father and True. his, right? So, like, they, they really, like, they leave a whole lot of inferring, like, By more minutes, more than... you mean more like seconds, Seconds, right? yeah, yeah, really, really seconds, right? So... <laughs> like, literal by flashback. flashbacks, you mean yes. <laughs> literal flashes, yeah. Which, you know, I, I, I initially was kind of going to point out as a weakness, but I think it's also just, it's okay because... um it's it's just how they opted to have those like i think they wanted you to focus more on you know the characters in in the now as far as like what's happening in the timeline of the episodes versus you know their past or anything like that and that's fine i respect that decision i'll um, tell you what i'll give you a, a compromise i'll i'll say that um they they can have some credit for the first one for holding back but holding on for the whole ovas holding back stuff maybe not so great I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree there. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I still adore BGC, but I definitely viewed this series with some rose-tinted glasses before we watch it again for the first time in literal decades. Um, and I only say that, because, especially after you mentioned the kind of other, other properties that came out during BGC's run. Uh, at first, I thought, oh, maybe it's just kind of a relic of the era. But I mean, you look at something like Pat Labor. Pat Labor's storytelling and world building uh, through inferences, honestly, in my opinion, probably the best in all of anime. I, I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I, I think the world in Pat Labor is incredibly well constructed and tight, and they don't ever really like get, go ham fisted in explaining mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? And so if they could do that with Pat Labor, I don't know why they couldn't have done that with BGC. I mean, they had the capabilities. But I'm not trying to compare the two. I, I think both can definitely exist in parallel because they do different things, for sure. Mm-hmm. Pat Labor is definitely more near future, you know, like like alternate future, less fiction. And, you know, BGC is hard sci-fi. So, you know, I, I again, they definitely exist in different spaces. But just, so Yeah. Uh, aside from the comparison there, I want to I want to cut off the discussion of Pat Lavar because I'm sure that's going to be a whole several several of episodes. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm sure uh, Pat Pat Labor is my second favorite property next to Eva. Uh, it's yeah, so I'm going to stop myself there too. Um, I want to shift a little bit or kind of continue with kind of this uh, one of the design things that I think is cool and i really want to talk about a little bit which is the hard suits like iconic yeah, yeah there's no, nothing like such, them. nothing it's like such them. just this really interesting cool it's this crazy idea if you described it it's like this oh you have these like you know they're sexy robot fighting ladies but they have smooth like completely undetailed hands with some heads with some like enhanced hands and then there's like tube for arms and like high heels and some kind of boob holders. Like (laughs) 
you could come to a slightly better description, but like there it's, it's such a cool, unique design. I'm not sure like where that all came from or what other opinions people have on the hard suits. It definitely has some super sentai elements. Oh yeah. 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 I, I can see that. I, I, see I, that. I attribute that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the suits were designed by Masami Obadi, right? Uh, really? Isn't I believe Obadi's credited as the mecha designer. I don't know if he's necessarily... He was later. I didn't know if he was in there the whole time, though. Yeah, well, he was also episode director, but he, I want to say, was the main mechanical designer, but I could be wrong there, so I'm not going to hardline and say that's fact. But regardless, uh, nothing else in anime, really, even to this day, uh, replicates the 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 elegance in the design of the hard suit in my opinion really like not not even close to to be honest mhm i i think that the cool thing to me or i don't know the neat thing is how bgc those hard suits in the us at least became synonymous with anime like they were kind of the if you saw a picture of a hard suit you would know oh okay that there's anime here right or something like that and yeah. that was like a big deal and you know yeah. and because they were cool and they did they were good did a good job of representing anime i i would say something like the, I, I would say in conjunction with the heart suit also a bright red motorcycle out of, from oh yeah uh, from akira and also obviously Prisces as well but i feel like sure, those sure. two are synonymous with being iconic you know air quotes of japanimation yeah I, <laughs> you know icons in the u.s circa you know early 1990s yeah Definitely. Mike, you have any opinions or thoughts on hard suits or any other design stuff? Not does I really adore the designs of this series count as an opinion? I, <laughs> I am trying to think of anything specific, except not as big a fan of the K-12 armored troopers, but that's more because they're, you know pretty crap when facing boomers <laughs> well mm. and and those k-12s those are more of a those in my head those come more from the uh alien power loader design they almost oh, yeah. either that or um starship troopers yeah i don't know if there's any sort of visuals i know the novel for that was super old i don't know if there's any visualization well, maybe there's there probably was some the like studio concept new way, um concept art for or art that was for the Japanese versions of the novels and became iconic. Um, and that was, remember Daikon 3, the mecha that she goes up against? Nope. Ah, well, I believe anyway, you. it yeah, is we believe you. essentially the Studio Nui Starship Troopers hard suit. Oh, that's cool. Huh. That would so Daikon sense 3 too. was actually its first appearance in animation, oddly enough. And then the it an 80s OVA essentially used modified versions of the same designs. The uh, other th other thing I thought was really cool was, I, and I think this harkens to uh, your comparison with the Aliens uh, power loader, Dylan, is, again, I'm I'm making a pretty general statement, but feel Mike especially, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say, especially in anime, I want to say BGC was the first show to do the suit in a suit thing, like, you know, with, with Pris and her bike, kind of the bike being like a, 
oh, yeah. uh, an exoskeleton to her heart suit to like you know to to power her up. I I I'm trying to think yeah, of another I'm... example of that before BGC, and I really cannot. Also trying to think like Maspita does, which I just happened to be rewatching with a friend, does like the bike transforming around the person and essentially becoming power armor. That's true. But the person's not inside of their first super-powered armor. Right, they're not inside of power armor, inside their bike bigger power armor. They're, the bike becomes power armor. Which so is... Matryoshka dot all of, of, of power armor. I just, I just wish that we could have a audio or video transcription of the design process or they get to this, because it just had to be like, no, no, no. No, they're going to be suits, but that's not enough. We got to wrap them in another power suit that makes them more powerful. They're like, yes, you've come to it. It's brilliant. I love it. They're like, we'll draw it. It's going to be insane. Oh, God. Um, Design-wise, one of the other things that I thought was cool, I actually put this in my notes as I was rewatching, was um, I love the logo, um, the little like word mark they have, the Bubblegum Crisis 20-whatever. 20, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, it's there's two different because the first the first episodes are 2032 32. and then the second set are are listed and it changes to 2033. Yeah, and it goes to the horizontal uh logo, which I don't like as much but it's still really good. But I mean that logo holds up till today. It's it's really simple and good and nice font. Um Yeah, I nice agree coloring. with you. And they do that that video editing trick of the 80s and 90s where like the letters, you know, kind of have like an eerie glow to illuminate uh-huh. around like i i don't i'm not an editor type i can't i don't know what to say but I've, that's like the best way to describe it i mean yeah. i agree though uh from a design perspective like like you know chef's kiss like I, very little out there compared compares as far as just holding up over literal decades mm-hmm. so one of the other things just kind of on the words and stuff is that like that's something i noticed that people spent a lot of time on because everything in this is all you know, hand drawn cell stuff. And they spent so much time drawing out the words and on these screens. Um, There's just so much of it. It's so dense with that. Uh, Yeah, I agree. So I guess um, I'll append to, to, to kind of soften the blow. So I know I was critical of F1, but I will say that even from F1, the level of detail in everything from, you know, the, individual people's you know uh like the ad police those uniforms must have been a tremendous pain to draw because they had a lot of you know little uh like like the various you know, they kind of were like pseudo like techno technical technological you know power armor ish kind of stuff and then um all the details in the cyberpunk city like are just yeah mm-hmm. so the detail level since that one definitely was like way, oh yeah way up there for sure just i was admiring as i was watching it the the hand-drawn like dylan was talking about hand-drawn computer screens yeah all that stuff with the yes. hand lettering hard edges like oh it was so cool to look at and just to see the their their future i their ideas of what the future would be like <laughs> you would I mail love somebody their ideas a disc of the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah no i love it i mean I never yeah. Well, it's an old slogan in computer science that held true for a long time, though it no longer does, which is never underestimate the bandwidth of a station wagon full of tapes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. I, mean, I thought yeah, it's, it was great. Yeah. Some of the fun stuff with that is they have uh, is uh, 
Silly and Maki sit there and they get their morning paper where it comes over like a computer terminal, like <laughs> and then terminal, prints out, <laughs> and then it, then it prints it out. And you're like, yeah. yeah, well, of course you'd still have your newspaper, and of course it would be a dot matrix printer going, yeah, <laughs> and of course the payphones everywhere as you'd expect yeah. from an yeah. <laughs> and, and you've been using the phone cards and coins still in 2032. Yeah, <laughs> one of the other things that I did see that was different, which I just. I'm like, whoa, they lost their minds with this. It was like, did anyone else look at the keyboards? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I actually Why is there not. an arrow in the middle of your keyboard? Wait, what? Well, oh, I didn't the keyboards this. are in the keyboard layout is insane. Like every key, every keyboard is different. Like yes. it's whatever key animator was drawing it. Oh, man. It was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. And like, you have to type with one hand. But yeah, it's like the enter keys in the middle. And then like, I don't know, like F4 is like a quarter of the keyboard. And then there's like the letters are randomly strewn throughout. It's like. Yeah, I'm not sure of like it. It seems like some sort of like I'm not trying to be discriminatory. Like so it feels like some sort of like dyslexic soup. Like if like you had a I don't know. It's like an alpha kind of like alphabet soup keyboard. Like yeah, yeah, you, you like took spilled the keys soup, on a you, table and left them. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you drained out an alphabet soup and you're like, all right, and let's toss in some other random symbols in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, bonkers. <laughs> Very entertaining. Oh, it's great. It must have been something where everyone was just like, yeah, you draw whatever keyboard you want. We don't care. This is kind of, the, the I think, partly the benefit of having the, the Blu-ray HD remasters. Like, I don't think, I mean, you could probably pick this stuff up on a on the DVDs or whatever on a CRT, but like, it just stands out so much more where you can see every little detail in there. So yeah, the, the zoom enhanced beam comes back to haunt them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could, I'm sure, get pretty clear images still framing the laser disc, though I don't know if they were CLV or CAV discs. With yeah, the they're... episode length, they were probably CLV, so no freeze frame unless you had a really advanced player. But only you would know, Mike. So you're <laughs> you're our expert on that on that subject for sure. Uh, no, my friend who's an even bigger bubblegum crisis fan is an expert, but also is a laser disc expert. So. I feel intimidated next to some of my friends who are really crazy BGC people for various reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's there's so much cool uh, uh, detail in the art. And I think, yeah, it's... Uh, Mike, you made a good point earlier that, like, duh, once you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's totally Sentai-esque with the Nightsabers, because the only thing that's not Sentai-esque is that there's four rather than five. Mm-hmm. But they each have their own color. Well, there's Mackie. Uh, oh, oh there Mackie. There's Mackie. There's bonus Mackie. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Mackie. Uh, but they each have their own color. They're, they have their, they're, each of their suits has their own kind of power thing, which is, I think, is such the, the, the way that they have the different suits have their different powers is so. I think it was one of those other really great things of uh, of the design where they each have their strengths and weaknesses in the hard suits. Um, and they also, um, each of the different people has their, has their fighting style and kind of fighting strengths. <laughs> and Nene's is yeah. not fighting at all. I was about to say, so I know that, I yeah. know, I know uh, Lino's is like the big knuckle explosion thing. Um, Celio's is the blade. Chris's is the the needle gun. What does Nene's suit do? I actually didn't see her do anything of merit. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
there's um I don't think it's really it's not super spoiler, but like the last the last episode is I would call it like the Nene episode. My favorite episode, uh, by the way. That's really great. Um and it focuses on her and she does some she does some cool stuff with her suit there. I feel like and you could say whether it's completely unrelated or not, but I, I've remember I have not seen in a while, but the Bubblegum Crisis twenty forty TV series it definitely has Nene where she is not as she is definitely is not the fighter, but she's like, oh, 20, her suit, yeah. her, her suit is like this, like, is she is the Intel. She is the Intel and communications where her suit is certainly in that series is just like, it's basically a satellite receiver yeah. as the suit. And so her job is to pretty much not be in the fight and just be there and be the eyes and ears and manage to get everything. Or the electronic warfare and... Right. Role. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they yeah. should have done, I think, but for the whole series for her was because I, I was constantly making notes as I was watching this thing being like, why is Nene here? She's doing nothing. Like, she's just, <laughs> it's not helpful well, all the way to the end. Like. Nene, the character, I think is helpful because she's actually in oh, no, no, inside yeah, AD police and does yes. get a lot of, you know, inside info. But when she's in the hard suit, I feel like she's more of a liability than yeah, yeah. Uh, help. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I mean. Like it, when she's, fighting in the hard suit she's not really adding anything but yeah she's a, a in, invaluable asset to them elsewhere and in the last episode um you know not to spoil too much but she she actually takes on more of that like computer role like uh operator technician role and she owns and it's like well she should have been doing this kind of stuff the whole time or right? like yeah it's definitely true i was thinking the, i was thinking the whole thing is like yeah why isn't she like satelliting up and like interrupting the boomers as they're trying to literally like blow up the entire planet and like disrupting their comms and showing that more actively. Um, it could have been something where in the direction and design and stuff, they're like, yeah, she's totally doing that. We're just not showing it and animating it and writing it. I, I don't know. After watching this many episodes, I think that's maybe giving them too much credit. <laughs> I, I mean, e it feels like they were making a bit more than that up as they went along. Yeah, yeah I definitely had that feeling. And I kind of want to discuss the, uh, the making it up as we, as we go along thing, which for this series and kind of what it was doing, like, I honestly feel like it works well for other series. I think it would make the whole thing just completely fall apart, but I feel like BGC operates to a certain extent by an, is it cool? We'll throw it in. <laughs> yes. I agree. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a whole bunch of stuff where you watch where you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are they doing that? That's but it sure is cool. Super dumb. <laughs> yep. But it did it passes the is it cool test. And like, can we draw if we draw this, does it look cool? Yes, then we're drawing it. I, I do feel that continuity that was, be damned. That was to the a lot of times that I mean, definitely doing cool stuff is cool, and I that's probably the best of the show. But it does harm the I don't know, overall enjoyment, or at least for me, of the show, when you just have kind of, it, you put too much into that and not enough into, like, an actual plot. Like, if you look at the the plots of these episodes, like, they're kind of middling TV show episodes, right? Oh, like, I, I, I was going to bring yeah. that up. I completely agree. Like, I would expect to see some of these plots in, like, a, a mid-season UA episode, right? You're under arrest, which is, like, <laughs> not a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> but yet we all adore the show yeah like they do yeah. cool things but it's like and then you know you get into the different directors kind of changing tone 
through the middle of it. You know, it, it's cool that, that that each episode is, you know, the magic of OVAs. They all get to be their kind of their own thing. But like, um, I don't know, it also means that uh show lacks a little bit of cohesion and kind of interest. Like, I don't know. There was a lot of demand for this kind of stuff back in the day, like just anime in general. So like, maybe there's a little bit of a trying to crank stuff out, but a little dis- I was let down uh, on my rewatch of this because of that stuff. I give you that. I definitely love the show more for the world and the aesthetics than for the plot itself. Like, who who is it? Um, Lena. I I forget. It's Cilia, Lena, Chris, and Nene. Right? Is that the that's yes? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So Lena, like, Chris and Nene feel like the only characters who ever really get any characterization or any real like fleshing out. Celia, you get a little tiny bit. Um, and Lena, you get like none. I don't Except know. For I, a, one time you meet her friend. F7? No. Uh, because the whole segment, uh, without being spoilery, like the whole segment where you realize how how she knew the the perpetrator was tying back to what was that, F2 or 3? So. Yep. Um, I, I do generally agree. I think Nene, oh, not Nene, uh, I think Lena is very underdeveloped is is a generous i think um compared to yeah. the rest i mean that's that's a celia as well right like it's almost yeah. like celia is completely done being a developed character by the time the show starts like she's gone through her trauma and her you know resolve and now runs a secret organization of pseudo power ranger mercenaries basically so um, I think it, they could still like explore that aspect of her. Oh, you know? like, I I totally agree. Um, I think that's why so many years later, AIC opted to reboot with 2040 because they had a full season budget to like mm-hmm. kind of do what they wanted to do. And you know, I I watched it all. I think it's on its own. It's fine, um, even and quite enjoyable. But it's you know you're you're comparing it you're you're comparing it to something that's iconic in the. Mm-hmm. you know, in the, the sphere of anime. So I don't think it was ever going to be something that could replace it. But they certainly did, you know, um, spend a lot of time on each of the characters and gave them each a more distinct identity, which I did appreciate about it. And also, you know, it was kind of one of the last AIEC shows that had what I would call the, you know, a, like the, the tried and true AIC style character designs, if that makes sense to anybody. I think oh, I, it totally does. Yeah. 100%, I agree. Um, I can't even think of a show that they made afterwards that had that look of the characters that like the the quintessential AIC look. I'm I'm really trying to think about think of one, and I can't. When think was of one. Dual Parallel Trouble Adventure? Oh movie? yeah, you're right. That was probably the last one. That was like '98, I want to say. Dual, def- if, yeah, it came out. I think anyone, that was an OVA. That was right out. Well, was it an OVA or a 13 Ever? I don't remember which one. It, it was. was. It, was it was 13 TV. Ever. Okay. Yeah. I, 13 I, upper 99. Okay, so that was close. Yeah, so that's probably the last, like... And that, yeah, so that makes sense. That was right after 2040, so... And if anyone knows any of these totally obscure shows we're talking about, just like, oh yeah, of course, then you are definitely <laughs> the same vintage as we are. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for that description. <laughs> I was going to say same decrepitness, like... <laughs> we're vintage, we're fine. We're finely aged. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so there, there's a ton more things that I think are, are fun to talk about this, but one thing that I kind of want to go to is um, the importance of this series. And I want to hijack it for myself personally. Um, I saw this probably, I think it was like, uh, it was basically like the first kind of like call like a group sleepover party thing at a friend's house in seventh grade in 1992. And my friend knew about this stuff and he got, um, he got bubblegum crisis. I think we had the episode. I don't know if it was more than episode one. Um, we had that. I think we had Akira and we had, um, Oh shoot. What's the, uh, uh, same ghost in the shell author late 90s uh ova um hmm. uh the same manga author is uh, for ghost in the shell had another late oh yeah we definitely had apple seed but it wasn't apple we um, had apple seed and then there was another one in there but um the other no, crazy robot one black magic <laughs> might have been black magic and oh yeah black magic yeah, i think that was shiro um so we had those and we watched it and like that is still one of like the most influential nights of my life, probably because I saw these things and I was like, what am I watching? Like, this is like so crazy and so cool. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, Oh, this is Japanimation. Oh man. Had I seen all that in 92, that would have blown me away. (laughs) Cause that's, that's what we called it back then. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I got to figure out what the heck this is. And I didn't get, super into there because it was a lot harder to find stuff when i was 12 um but like i still remember seeing episode one of bubblegum crisis and like the intro through like the whole the whole episode and um just being so just like what am i watching because all i'd really seen for animation stuff before was Disney stuff. And I was like, eh, you know, this is, this is all right. Not really anything for me, but I saw like bubblegum crisis and Akira. And I was like, well, this is this. I like animation. This is great. Let's do, let's do more of this. And, uh, here I am a few years later. (laughs) I definitely didn't encounter BGC quite that dramatically. I'd already seen a few shows, but I was looking for some, if I remember correctly, looking for some stuff to watch for my high school anime club and ran across a used tape of BGC at, I think, Streetlight in downtown Santa Cruz, possibly, and picked it up and watched it and fell absolutely in love with the series because it turned out to be everything I was looking for in anime at the time, if I'm honest. (laughs) This would have been probably 1998 or so. Um, And it was actually Ep4, the one with the car, so I didn't even start with Ep1. Classic. (laughs) Funny, not starting with Ep1s actually works better for me for some shows. Like Cowboy Bebop, I started with Ep4 when I started coming to club. (laughs) <laughs> always never really liked episode one of Cowboy Bebop when I've rewatched it for whatever reason. I think you need at least Faye to get some of the more Lupin the Third-esque character dynamics for Bebop that really drew me into that instantly. 
And this has been Hot Takes by Mike. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, hot take off. (laughs) What about you, Sam? Uh, I, this was, BGC was definitely one of the first anime I'd ever seen, along with, uh, of the ones I can remember, it was like BGC, Ava, Lotus War, and Please Save My Earth, and they were at this comic book shop, um, in Hawaii that had just, like, random anime videos that they would rent out, Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, we got BGC, and it was, I don't remember much of it, just that it was really cool. And it, I, I also can't even remember if it was subbed or dubbed, because that, that store uh, just bought whatever VHS tapes. And so, like, you would watch a show, and, like, the first episode would be subbed, and the second episode would be dubbed or whatever. Um, I just, yeah, I remember explosions and robots, and, like, that the visuals really stuck with me and clearly not the plot. Otherwise I might have a different opinion of it today. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was impactful. Unfortunately, maybe not as impactful as the other shows. Cause they, they stuck with me a lot more. Um, still important. Anything from you, Nick? Uh, yeah. So my exposure to it, just like everything else is probably the most unusual by American standards, because again, I, I'm ethnically Japanese, second generation, born here, but my parents are born there, so I have a lot of relatives out over there, and the way I I was watching anime at a very young age, granted it was, you know, like, it was like Dr. Slump, um, you know, Adorichan and and Dragon Ball, but, you know, I I was still able to watch it starting, I want to say, like, starting age five or something, and... So you know, I relatives would periodically send you know tapes to to my parents, and I would those things were like, you know, holy relics to me. Like I would watch them constantly. Like I probably watched the first ten episodes of Dragon Ball like uh, I don't know, probably a hundred times because I just kept playing playing those tapes over and over again every night because that's all I wanted to watch. And then not too long uh, after that, a couple years later, so between like ages eight and ten. Um, a uh, a Mitsuwa got built by my house, and it had a video rental store store attached to it. For those that don't know, Mitsuwa is kind of like a it's probably primarily a, a California slash West Coast thing, but it's basically a uh, a Japanese grocery store um, that usually has a few other smaller stores. Typically, they come with manga stores in them, and also um, I would say a lot of the time back in especially eighties and nineties uh, video rental stores. So. That's where my parents would rent their Japanese dramas, and I was starting to be able to branch out and see more anime. And you know, early on, um, I was trying. I, I I was a dumb little kid, so I was literally basing everything off of the 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 covers. And one of some one of the most striking covers is what I saw was you know, Pris in her heart suit sitting on a bright red bike i'm like wow this looks like power rangers but cooler is what the first thing i thought was so i immediately um uh grabbed it and watched it and it was not at all what i thought it was going to be especially you know 10 year old nick seeing seeing this i was like i didn't really understand the deeper nuances of it i just know that i saw it and i liked it (laughs) and i thought it was really cool because there was robots explosions you know you know cool edgy you know uh, uh like hero hero girls and in, in power suits and i was like yeah this is super cool and, and sometimes a booby 
Yeah, exactly. And I was just, and then episode, <laughs> yeah, the I 80s think, score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I still want to say like around episode, you know, uh, I think episode three or four is when they started to be, you know, it'd be a bit more mature. And that's when I realized anime was more than just, you know, well, it was more than Kamehameha's. It was, you know, there was a huge <laughs> spectrum of stuff. And Bubblegum Christ was definitely one of the first things I saw early, uh, early, very early on. Um, also, Pat Labor, uh, I saw very young. Um, didn't appreciate it as much as, as until I got older, because I think Pat Labor is a lot more, you know, uh, it, it's definitely spun more towards, like, reality than bubblegum crisis is so it's a bit more thoughtful thoughtful yeah 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 for sure it's more dialogue based so obviously Mm, stupid 10 year old nick is not going to care about that um i mean not that pat labor doesn't have some would it be cool to throw this in there too oh yeah yeah, for sure for sure definitely agree from pat labor once again (laughs) (laughs) no but um but yeah there's a ton of stuff like you know i i tried to cram in as much violent 80s and early 90s stuff as i could you know um Jeez, uh, MD Geist, MD Geist, yeah, MD Geist, uh, Zegai. What else was there? Um, oh, Ninja Scroll, Ninja Scroll, Demon City, yeah. Shinjuku. Um, gosh, yeah, just all that early '90s stuff. Uh, not all of them stuck with me as much. Um, I definitely knee jerked hard away from that sort of stuff. Like, I, I kind of over overdid it on those, you know, early mid '90s. OVA, so... Uh, oh, of course, I think probably the most influential out of everything, um, uh, veering way off course, though, was when I, when I started uh, finding uh, Rama one half. I think that was probably one of the most influential oh, for man. me personally, because, yeah, that yeah. was my first... Well, not my first, but that was kind of when I realized that I enjoyed Rumiko Takahashi stuff a lot, because uh, I watched Rusei Yatsura, but I didn't realize... I didn't, the stupid 10-year-old Nick didn't realize it was from the same person, so... I had a shouting... Uh, full out, full throated shouting argument with my younger brother about the, what the opening song said in Ronmo. <laughs> if it was Yapapa or Yapapati. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so it seems like, as we discussed earlier, their operation is this cool? Well, sure, let's shove it in. Seems like that was actually fairly successful because for each of us, we had these impressions when we saw this show of like i don't remember too much but i remember it was really cool yeah that's for sure Mm -hmm. yeah um that's definitely true and i definitely had some of the same stuff with uh yeah some of those like you'd be like one tape would be in english other would be in japanese and another one be halfway to english and somehow halfway in japanese and you didn't care yeah (laughs) yep wouldn't even notice really no um so we are getting close to the end of time um uh as much as people can i want i want uh people to give either their if you can't remember i will my preference would be your favorite song or your favorite episode if if you can't if you can't remember uh if if you feel like you're just going to give the same choice that everyone else is for everything um <laughs> I mean, I think favorite song is going to be quickly redundant for all of yeah. us. <laughs> if I... Actually, I mean, well, except then I... for the fact that I picked the song from F4, like Crisis Run with Thunder or something. Uh, or something. Yeah, you you don't with... like it that much then, do you? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the title. <laughs> I just know where it is on the disc. 
important. That's fair. I'm going to, well, I, uh, well, so I will, I will go, I'm going to go with, uh, opening song episode seven, say yes. I, I love that song. Mm. I think it's, that's the one song I, sung by not by vision, Chris, right? By vision. Yeah. Yes. Chris, that right. one is yes. an excellent that's, song. That one, that one yeah, is, is really, really good. Quintessential. That 80s. one I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with that one as my personal just choice for favorite uh favorite song. And that's nice. That's your opinion though. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's, that's my probably my number two and Konyawa Hurricane is only number three for me. Uh-huh. Wow, that's kind of You're also wrong, surprised. but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, your answer is uh Bye bye, right. my crisis. Right, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> my my choice is tonight, Hurricane, and my my favorite episode is is uh, Ep Eight, which I do want to throw in here as a final thought. <laughs> I thought it was great how she's driving with that that um, girl, that high school girl, saying, "Oh, we just do boomer crimes. It's pretty dangerous. Why do you want to ride around with me? Oh, look, <laughs> there's a speeder. I'll go take care of that one." <laughs> like. What? <laughs> what is your job? Boomer crimes or, or highway patrol? Like, <laughs> anyways, those are my um fa- favorite song without without question is Cornell Hurricane. I mean, it's too just it's too iconic to for me to say otherwise. Favorite episode is actually Moonlight Rambler. That's at five. Uh, I don't know something about the 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 way. I I might just be because uh the way. Old body directed it. I jived more with me, but um, yeah, eps five, 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 and closely afterwards six are probably my two favorite eps. Um, Those are very the, good eps. That's the car one, is that right? Uh, no, four is the, the car one. Five, yeah. five is the vampire one. Yeah, five oh, and okay. six are the uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the right. That's when um, Masami Obari comes in. Yeah, and it definitely takes a change. Yeah, very, yeah, I, very clear change in in style when he's mm-hmm. when he takes the helm. Yeah, I think I think I go with uh, I think I might go with Midnight Rambler as well. I had my notes there for that episode was damn great up makes you forget the last two. Definitely 100 <laughs> percent BGC. Glad it wasn't the car one. I was going to question you if that was. Yeah, the car one isn't my favorite app. <laughs> yeah, that just... one's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I have major nostalgia's goggles for it, but that doesn't make it my favorite app. <laughs> like, or it's certainly not the app I think is best anyway. <laughs> it might be an app I watch more than I should. Because for a while it was my only BGC tape, so I watched it a lot. <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to sign off. So thanks for listening. And until next time, this is AMO Kenzuko saying Saraba. Saraba.